Hello, I'm Marvin Fant, and this is Fantline, where we're not afraid to speak truth, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, because right always trumps over wrong. Enough said. This week has been a very interesting week. I received several communications that lead me to believe I knew it before, but this really brought it out in very bold relief that this series is really upsetting the devil's apple cart. And uh, I have, before I get into where I left off last time, I think it productive and educational for me to share some correspondences that I received this week. Um, you know, I, I take great pains to be clearly understood. I attempt to speak very directly. I attempt to enunciate clearly. And it's really, it's really a grief when you think certain people in certain areas should be able to understand what you're saying. And then to get a letter that seems to indicate Lights on and nobody home. <laughs> it's really something. Let me, let me read these letters. I'm not going to tell you who it is until I finish the letter. Because I want you to absorb what's happening. Now, the reason I'm reading the letters is because God led me in this series to use anything that will expose the cancer of racism. Anything. So if it's not nailed down, I will use it. Okay? I'm going to use it. Now, and I want to, I've said it before, but I want to reiterate it. This whole thing with me is not personal. It's not personal. It's about right and wrong. It's about righteousness and unrighteousness. It's about God's plan and purpose. It's not about anything personal. And yet, because I'm a human and because I'm ministering to humans and because humans are involved in racism, then it, it can be construed as personal. But I assure you from the very depths of my heart, if you have any confidence in this ministry and in me, please believe me when I tell you it is not personal with me. It is strictly business. Kingdom business. All right. Now, having said that, let me let you in on some things. February 23rd, 1998, Dr. Frederick K.C. Price, Crenshaw Christian Center. Dear Fred, I have seen the recent programs in which you are dealing with a very real, ugly, and tenacious and persistent problem within the church. Your address of this issue is causing quite a stir and not a small amount of conversation throughout the body of Christ, which may very well have been your intention. If that was your purpose, job well done. I have long been a proponent of race relations within the church and have experienced a good measure of success in that area, both in my own local church and in the ministry at large. Because of that, as well as pastoring in the same city with, and I'm going to use the term, you know, the tape we heard of the minister that we, I was using as an object lesson, I will, I will refer to that as the unnamed minister, okay? Because nobody's heard me mention the name. 
And because it's, to me, it's not personal. It's about principles, and that's why I didn't mention name. So I'm not going to use the name. He has the name in here. I'm not going to use it. All right? And in the ministry at large. Because of that, as well as pastoring in the same city with the unnamed minister, I have received numerous inquiries from around the country as to my take on this very disturbing turn of events. When this issue came out more than five years ago, I did address it in my own church, though I dealt essentially with racism and interracial marriage and not with the unnamed minister, specifically or by name. I also talked with the father then and since regarding his comments. Well, uh, while I found his disputed remarks untimely, distasteful, and insensitive, I also recognize his apology for having made them. And I wanted to write you personally before I make any public commentary. While I understand the hurt, disillusionment, and anger you are apparently experiencing, it is my strong feeling that Christians must learn to be confrontive without being combative. Confrontation is healthy and can lead to rather profound resolution. However, dealing with personal hurts and individual personalities in a public forum can and will ultimately be counterproductive and is untimely and ultimately an exercise in futility. Fred, you have gone beyond the general issue of racism and have begun attacking individual persons and personalities. Not to mention the fact that Brother, the, un, the, the unnamed minister's tape is more than five years old. Galatians 5.15 says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I might add that since the unnamed minister, to my knowledge, has not been responding to your programs, you may ultimately devour yourself. This needs to stop. Personal issues of contention among noted and named men and women of God who affect large groups within the body should be dealt with in private and under an apostolic covering, counsel, and accountability. Perhaps you and the unnamed minister, myself, and other appropriate church leaders should sit down together and talk this through. Please reconsider the course you're taking and let's find a healthy alternative to resolve these issues. I love you and I am praying for you. Peace. Now, <clears throat> he says, I understand your hurt, disillusionment, and anger. Well, <laughs> I wasn't hurt. I have never indicated that I was hurt. Because the unnamed minister wasn't talking to me. I wasn't in the service. My name was never mentioned. I was not hurt. I was disappointed. There's a difference. I'm disappointed. Now, when I expressed the fact that I was angry, it was not with an individual. It was about the fact that the church had never done anything about racism. That's what I was angry about. And I gave you scripture to show you why. So this, this is a, now listen to this. However, dealing with personal hurts and individual personalities, I'm not dealing with personalities. I'm dealing with principles. Maybe I don't understand what a principle is. Or maybe he doesn't. I'm dealing with right and wrong. Not about personalities. Anybody with any sense ought to know that because if I, were dealing about, if I were dealing with a personality and then I never mentioned the personality's name, what good would it do? So that very fact lets you know it wasn't about personalities. All right, watch this now. Fred, you have gone beyond the general issue of racism and have begun attacking individual persons and personalities. Attacking? I mean, I, you know... Be honest. Let me know. I mean, I, you know, I don't have a problem repenting. I mean, do you, I mean do you, all this time we've been in this series, do you get the idea I'm attacking the person? No. no. I'm dealing with principles. 
with right and wrong, yeah. not persons. Oh, it's going to blow your mind when I tell you who this is. Now, watch this now. Uh, if you keep, well, he says, I might add that since the unnamed minister, to my knowledge, has not been responding to your program, you may ultimately devour yourself. This needs to stop. Personal issues of, of contention among noted and named men and women of God who affect large groups within the body should be dealt with in private and under apostolic covering, counsel, and accountability. Now, now, now watch this now. See, all of, I'm doing all of this to, to give you some insights into the thinking patterns of people and to understand why this racism thing continues to perpetuate itself. Okay? And, and I want you white people as well as you black people and all the rest in between to get a real good view of what racism and slavery has done to the mentality and the thinking of many black so-called leaders. So I want you to see this. And this is an illustration of it. Listen to this. Personal issues of contention among noted and named men and women of God who affect large groups within the body should be dealt with in private. Why should something that was done in public be dealt with in private? <laughs> All right, now watch this. Now, the person sent me a letter, and then they sent a letter to the unnamed minister. Same time. Now watch this. Dear so-and-so, because of Dr. Price's persistence in continuing this course of action, I wanted to write you again to let you know that while I'm sure you understand that your disputed remarks were untimely, distasteful, and insensitive, I recognize your apology for having made them. I don't know what specificity has, what has transpired over the past six years between you and Dr. Price and why he feels such a course is necessary. Perhaps that is an unresolved issue between the two of you. That very statement lets the brother know he ought to keep his big, fat mouth shut. He does listen, he doesn't even know. How dare you? you write me a letter chiding me on something God told me to do and you don't even know the circumstances surrounding the issue. Amen. Now this is, this is a leader. This is a pastor of a church. Black pastor. Watch this now. I don't know with specificity what has transpired? Well, then, what you putting your two cents in for? <laughs> I just want you to see something. I'm, I'm going to come to a point. Now, watch this. I have long been a proponent of race relations within the church and have experienced a good measure of success in that area, both in my own local church and in the ministry at large. Because of that, I continue to receive numerous inquiries from around the country as to my take on this, this very disturbing turn of events. I have recently faxed Dr. Price concerning this, and I wanted to write you again before I make any public commentary. Bad move. <laughs> while, I understand, while I understand the hurt, disillusionment, and anger Dr. Price is apparently experiencing... It is my strong feeling that Christians must learn to be confrontive without being combative. Confrontation is healthy and can lead to rather profound resolution. However, dealing with personal hurts and individual personalities in a public forum can and will ultimately be counterproductive and is ultimately an exercise in futility. Personal issues of contention among noted and named men and women of God who affect large groups within the body should be dealt with in private and under an apostolic covering, counsel, and accountability. For the good of the body of Christ at large, this matter should be resolved quickly. Perhaps you and Dr. Price, myself, and other appropriate church leaders should sit down together. Now, I want you to get this. Sit down together and talk this through. Again, I love you. I am praying for you. I know this is difficult for you, but we shall all get through it together. 
Now, this is a black man writing to a white man about a black man. Now, watch this. Having no knowledge of the situation, he would dare say to the white man who is the offender, I know this is difficult for you. What about me? He didn't say that about me. I'm the one standing up for him against the white racism that was apparent in that message, but he didn't have any feelings for what I'm going through, getting all the criticism. I'm standing up for the black people of America and of the world, and he doesn't say anything about me. Now, listen, listen. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to get any, hey, listen, I got an assignment and I, it don't make no difference what anybody says it does, I'm on my assignment. But here's my point, just so you can understand and see the thinking of so-called black leaders. And that's why our people have never been really able to progress down through the years because of this kind of attitude with our so-called black brethren. And you white people need to know that your forefathers worked a wonderful game on black folk. The Willie Lynch syndrome is well and alive and still working after all these years. See, you don't understand. Black, a lot of black people are scared of white people. You, your forefathers made them afraid. And then some of them have such low self-esteem that they need the approval of the white man in order for them to feel good about themselves. I'm dealing with right and wrong. Listen, listen to me. You heard the tape. This man said to his daughter in kindergarten, said it publicly. With emphasis, you heard it, with emphasis, and said, we can go together as friends. We can be friends with everybody, but we just don't date this group of people. It's against our culture. That is an offense to every black-skinned person on this planet. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this Negro hasn't got enough sense to see that. So concerned about getting the approval of the white man that he would subvert a man who's standing up for his best interest and taking the flag. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't care about that. You, you can't hurt me. Don't even try to put your hands on me. Be the worst mistake you ever made. So I'm not saying that. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen, listen. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying about the thing. I'm not saying that to try to get any comfort for me. I'm going to do what I got to do anyway. Don't make me no difference. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm long past all that other stuff. But my point is that this is how black folk have been, have been programmed. Now watch this. Watch this. Three years ago, you know, I am the president of, and I started an organization called Thick With Them, the Fellowship of Inner City Word of Faith Ministries. We have an executive board, and we also have a board of directors. I had a board of directors. I had two Hispanic brothers because those are the only people that are left in the inner cities, the Hispanics and the blacks. So I had two uh, Hispanic brothers on the board and uh, the rest were black. And uh, two of the black brothers three years ago resigned from the board because of my stand against this white ministry based upon those words that were said in that tape. They, they cut me off and went with the man who said, we don't marry that group. Now, again, again, because if you don't understand, you get to run. It's not about intermarriage. I don't care about that. The point is that when you say we don't, you're saying there's something wrong with that group. 
You telling a you telling a kindergarten child we don't we don't go with that group, that sends a message to that child that there must be something wrong with that group. And those two black brethren left me, left the fellowship because of the stand that I took to call these people on the carpet and get this thing resolved. Three or four months ago, I had another brother who was on the board, black minister, pastor, pastoring people. He resigned from the board when I started the series. He was, now watch this, I'm, I'm just trying to show you how racism has infiltrated into the minds of people, okay? I'm not trying to defend me. I don't need no defense. But I'm trying to, I'm using everything as an object lesson to show you how pervasive this thing is and that if we don't deal with it, it's going to just continue to perpetuate. This brother, this brother withdrew and resigned from the board when I started the series because he was concerned that his white members might be offended by my teachings. See, this is what's been, this is what's happened to many, many blacks. See, and our leaders, see, the people are the result of the leadership. And the people can't do any better than what the leaders lead them to. And if you have leaders that think like this, that's why you have people in the congregation that think like this. Now, watch, watch this. I got, I got this letter this week. And this week I got another resignation from another black brother on my board because of my stand against the unrighteousness and the wrong and the sin of all that stuff you heard on that tape. The man resigned to comfort the white man. I'll tell you about it. Just let, let me handle this. Yeah, I know what I'm not. I'm in control. I'll get to it. Definite resignation. And because of that, couldn't take a stand for right. It's not about white. It's not about black. It's about right and wrong. Am I the only one in this world that sees right and wrong? Then, then all this week, got a phone call from one of our other board members who had received a call from another board member indicating he's going to resign. All because of this stand that I have taken and that the ministry has taken against this apparent racism. These are black pastors that are pastoring people. You don't think we need to deal with this crap? See, but a lot of blacks are scared of whites. See, they're scared of whites. They're scared. They don't want to. They don't want to do. They don't want to even make it look like that they're doing anything that the white man might disapprove of. And all of that was through racism and slavery. See. I don't know how many more are going to resign before it's over. They, they can't hang. I mean, they can't hang. Pitiful, pitiful. Now, now, now. See, see, here's the thing. And, and, as, I, and I, as I've said in every lesson, don't take this personally against you, whether you're black or white. I would never do that. That's not the issue. It's right and wrong. It's principle, not personality. But somebody has to do it. God can't do it. He only works through human vessels. And if you've got vessels like these that have resigned, the thing will never be addressed. Now, want to know who wrote me the letter? Carlton Pearson. Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it when I got the letter. I, I was, I was dumbfounded.
Now, I got another letter this week. We're going to move on to the good side. All right, listen to this. Here's a letter from a pastor that said he met me many years ago. I have heard of him. I don't know him. If I saw him, I wouldn't, if he came in the room, I wouldn't know who he was because I have had no dealings with him. Are you following? This man, we've, we've never ministered together. I've never been in his church. He's never been in my church. All these guys that resigned from the board have sat at my table and eaten my food. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> been in my home. See, this stuff is real. This is real. This is real. This letter is from City Church. Dear Dr. Price, a number of years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting you and sitting next to you at the unnamed minister's meeting. T.L. Osborne, a mutual friend, was one of the featured speakers that night and mentioned our church in Chicago, the largest multi-ethnic inner city congregation in America at that time. I've rejoiced greatly in the growth and success of your ministry through the years. It dismayed me that night as I watched your program to receive evidence of remarks made by the unnamed minister that were rumored a couple of years ago. It's tragic that this is a white man, white minister who ministers in the inner city. It's tragic that racism still lingers even in the upper echelons of the faith movement. I've worked in Chicago for 23 years in the interest of racial harmony and reconciliation. I rejoice in the success of wonderful preachers in our city whom God has raised up to speak with authority to the critical issues of our day. Reverend Bill Winston, whom you may be familiar with, was saved and filled with the Spirit under our ministry a number of years ago. Today, I faxed the unnamed minister a letter outlining what I felt a proper course of action to help bring healing to the body of Christ. I fear that unless swift and proper action is taken, the body of Christ will suffer for years to come. I agree. That's why I'm not doing this series. I plead with you in the interest of the kingdom of God that if the unnamed minister responds appropriately, we can all close ranks again and get on with the business of the Great Commission. In the interest of the kingdom, Pastor Al Smith, City Church, Chicago, Illinois. Now, here's what, that's the letter he wrote to me. Faxed to me. Then he faxed the letter to the unnamed minister. Now, here, this is a white man that I don't even know. We have never had any real, you know, personal communication. But the man can read the spirit. Where these others look me in the eye, sat at my table, been to my home, eating my food, and they can't discern. And yet they're pastoring people. Now, this is a letter that he wrote to the unnamed minister. Dear unnamed minister, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's almost impossible for me to express how much the varied ministries of so-and-so have meant to me through the years. I first met your father over 30 years ago and rejoiced greatly on the occasion. He preached for my father in Columbus, Ohio. I marvel at the success and growth of the message of faith. And in 45 countries that I have visited personally have failed to find even one where your efforts for Christ remain fruitless. Three years ago, I sat on the platform with T.L. Osborne at the winter meeting. And your father laid hands on me and I was completely healed of an injury I received in the Virgin Islands. After three surgeries, I was completely free from pain for the first time in five years. The purpose of this letter is in the interest of the kingdom of God. And a present danger that threatens to seriously further divide the body of Christ along racial lines for years to come. See, this minister's got the same spirit. He understands. This is what God is trying to get across. We've got to get some people to see this so we can, get, so we can fix it. Now, watch this now. My personal ministry involves pastoring in the inner city of Chicago for the last 23 years. We were privileged to build the largest multi-ethnic city church in the United States. Through the years, I've developed an understanding of and appreciation for the African-American perspective. Weekly, I meet with Reverend Jesse Jackson and judges and community leaders in Chicago. Our cross-cultured activities have enriched our lives immeasurably, not the least which is a beautiful eight-year-old grandson whose other grandfather is black. 
My heart sank last night when I viewed Fred Price's program on television, and I was appraised of the rift between your ministry and Fred Price's marvelous following. This is to encourage you to take a courageous step of action that I feel could bring healing to the whole situation. Without doubt, Fred Price is a man of God and a man of integrity who, if if approached in sincerity and humility, would prove more than willing to respond positively. I've been asking for this for I don't know how many years. The folk won't respond to me. (laughs) Okay, watch it. I believe that the proper... Listen to this. This is a white man addressing another white man. Minister to minister. I believe that the proper course of action would necessitate a sincere apology by you on radio, television, and in print. Dr. C, listen, Dr. C.M. Ward provided me with some invaluable personal advice many years ago. He said any pastor who wants to remain at his post for a number of years needs to learn to eat crow publicly at least twice a year, <laughs> whether he needs it or not. With all due respect, in this situation, you need it. To eat crow. Your, now watch this. Your apologetic statement, as replayed by Reverend Price, was tantamount to no apology at all. Thank God the lights are on and somebody's home. All right. The flippant and trite way you chose to deal with the problem was a slap in the face. And remember, these observations are from a white preacher. As I see it, you have four options available to you. Number one, ignore the problem and hope that it goes away. It won't. Number two, admit that you were sincere in your observations and try to back them up with scripture. Unfortunately, you can't. (laughs) Number three, admit that you were coerced into making your observation under pressure and that you really didn't believe them. Did you? (laughs) Number four, confess that at the time you made the observation, you felt justified in doing so, but in retrospect realized that they were unjustified, unscriptural, and insensitive. You could then admonish the body of Christ to racial unity and genuine repentance. We all know that in the economy of the gospel, the middle wall of hostility that separates races has succumbed to, power of the, has succumbed to the power of the cross. From my view, this last option is in reality your only option. I fear that if you choose to ignore this, In the interest of business as usual, the body of Christ will suffer needlessly for years. In the interest of the kingdom, Pastor Al Smith, City Church. Now, maybe, maybe this will get through. You know, there are some white folks, they can't take something from a black man, especially correction. How can an inferior black tell a superior white that he's wrong? So maybe a white can get across to, I don't give a care if a dog gets it across, just so we get the thing fixed. That's all I want. I don't care. I'm not interested in no credit. Just fix it. Now, So that was a positive letter. You pray for Brother Carlton. Because I hope, I hope he does not make a mistake and try to give some comment on an issue he doesn't know squat about. All that will do is add insult to injury. I have another letter. This letter is from Laurie Drevlo, Drevlo, Anaheim, California. Dear Dr. Price, I am writing to you in regards to a letter you read this past Sunday. I believe a couple by the name of Rogers. You remember that letter I read? Okay. Uh, wrote you the letter. And in it, they made a brief comment regarding some individuals who have been giving them dirty looks across the aisles. I just wanted to let you know that they have the look stop. Nobody ain't looking dirty now, are they? 
See, people don't understand. I, I, wrong is wrong. I don't care who it is. And I'll get on your behind if you're black, white, brown, red, or yellow. If you're wrong, you need to be told that you are wrong and you need to correct it. I don't have no favorites. Just because I happen to be black, I don't think I'm going to sit by and accept some lousy acting from some black Christian just because you're black. You got the wrong slant on this, baby. <laughs> I'm for right. And if you're black or white, if you're right, you're right. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to let you know that there are not, they are not the only ones who have experienced negative reactions as a result of being white. I, too, have had similar experiences. I have been a member of CCC for several years now. And prior to last year, I had never experienced any overt negative reactions from CCC members. From the first Sunday I arrived, I was always received with loving, open arms. So as you can imagine, when I returned in 1997, I was shocked at the response I was receiving from some of the congregants. As you would be ministering, people would quit quite often yell, Amen, in an exceptionally loud voice, and then turn and give me dirty looks. Other time, see, that's wrong, W-W-W-W-R-O-dot-com, wrong. <laughs> that's pitiful, unchristian, demonic, ungodly. All right. All right, let's go on. Because uh, this, this is, uh, okay. Uh, other times they would simply glare or give me a disappointing once-over while shaking my hand. At first I ignored it. But then it became so frequent I was, it was difficult to let it go. For the first time in my life I felt unwelcome in the church I call home. Now that's sad. That's just downright pitiful. Of all the people on the planet that ought to be the most considerate of somebody else ought to be you ex-black slaves. You have the nerve to act like that the way you have been treated and then turn right around and treat somebody else like that. That's beyond my vocabulary. For the first time in my life, I felt unwelcome in the church I call home. In all the years I had been at CCC, I had never felt, felt different. Prior to that time, people were warm and friendly. They would often greet me and talk with me even if they had never seen me. I was a stranger to most, but nevertheless loved and received as one of their own, a sister in the Lord. I was so hurt by the chain of events that I sought advice. First, I discussed the situation with some of my close friends, friends who are African-American. I thought that maybe they would have some insight into how I might deal with the situation. They insisted that it was my imagination and that I should just continue to attend church in like manner. However, after several more Sundays of the same treatment, I sought pastoral counseling with the pastor from CCC. By the end of the session, I was comforted in the fact that someone understood the situation and I was convinced that I was not overreacting. I went home concerned and decided to seek the Lord to see what he would have me to do. At that time, I was considering leaving the church for a season. In some respects, I felt as though I was being abused. And I, she was. And I thought to myself, who needs this? That's exactly right. Why would I want to get it from two sides? You see, I really believe if our black brothers and sisters knew what most of us white people had to go through in order to attend CCC, they would leave us alone and understand that we are playing on the same team. Now, now get this. I wanted to attend CCC when I was a teenager, but I was not allowed. Later, when I became a young adult, I decided that come hell or high water, I was going. I wanted to know God. And as far as I was concerned, you were the only person who knew him. So to CCC, I headed. In the process, I was told that it was, I was crazy and that I would most assuredly get shot or killed. I distinctly remember people saying things like, why do you want to go to church down there? There are lots of other churches around here. Why do you want to go to a black church? 
What are you, some kind of nigger lover or something? Are you trying to get a black man? No matter what the words or how they phrased them, the implications were always the same. That there was something wrong with me or that I had some sort of hidden agenda, an ulterior motive, so to speak. Except for God, no one in my immediate circle saw my heart. I know what you're talking about, Lauren. Nor was I able to convince them of my true motives. These words may sound ridiculous to you, but they were very serious to me. They struck me with great force and power. The opposition was great, and for years it came on a regular basis. In the beginning, I was even attacked with fear. Satan made me sure that someone was always telling just how dangerous it was in central, uh, South Central Los Angeles. Someone was always keeping in remembrance of the riots, a gang-related shooting, a death, you name it. I knew about it. I can remember going to Sunday service and Tuesday night Bible studies with my hands shaking, my heart palpitating, and my knees knocking. I was gripped with fear, but I wanted to know God. I wanted to be intimate with Him, and I was willing to do whatever I had to do to get closer to Him. I remember praying to God and saying, I believe that this is where you would have me to go. You would not lead me somewhere where you could not sustain and protect me. Send angels forth to protect me and make my way straight. Interestingly enough, I was never afraid of the people at CCC. I was only afraid of those outside the walls of CCC. When I would enter the grounds, I would have an overwhelming sense of peace. And I knew that my brothers and sisters would never do anything to harm me. I felt as though I had found a family at CCC. People who loved me and accepted me just as I was, white skin and all. So you can imagine how hurt I was when these events transpired. After all, I had been through, after all I had been through to attend CCC. The thought of leaving my church was not a pleasant one. I had grown so much at CCC and no other church compared. Crenshaw was not a church to me. It was my church. People would say to me, oh, you go to that black church, don't you? I would say, no, I don't go to a black church. I go to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it were a black church, I would be unable to attend. Now, it is true that the majority of the congregants are in black houses, but the church itself is a local body of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All colors are welcome. I do not know if they ever understood what I was saying, but I knew that God did, and that was all that was important. At any rate, to make a long story short, when I was praying in regards to staying or leaving, the Holy Spirit kept me in remembrance of an important truth. Every Sunday when the people respond to the altar call, you regularly admonish them not to leave the church because of other people and how they treat them. You generally conclude by saying something similar to the effect of, I'm the pastor of this church, and until I mess over you, until I am mean to you, until I give you dirty looks and won't talk to you, don't leave church. As these words reverberated in my memory, I thought back to you and your family and how they have treated me. Your family has never been anything but kind and loving to me. I have always been well received by you, your wife, your daughters, your son-in-laws, your son, and your grandchildren. Every one of them is just as sweet as they can be. They have no prejudice. Uh, They have no prejudice, guile, or malice inside of them. They are true believers, and they walk in love. Even your family members who were, as Mrs. Price would say, at a time when they should be frozen, could not have been nicer. I doubt that a single one of your family members knows my name, but they have always treated me as if I were family. For this, I will always be grateful, and for this very same reason, I decided to stay at the church. If I could take a little... If I could take a little bit of persecution on the white side, then I figured it couldn't be much worse on the black side. (laughs) Persecution is persecution. I forgave the people who had treated me poorly, and I made a reservation to walk in love. I said all that to say this. I want to thank you for the kind reprimand you gave the congregation on Sunday. You remember when I spoke about the other people, okay? You told people to leave us alone and that if we were down here, then we were okay. You were right when you said that we could be at other churches, but we have chosen to come to Crenshaw. We want to hear from God. We want to be under an anointed ministry and fellowship with other believers of like precious faith. We do not care about skin color. I understand that there are a lot of prejudiced white people out there, and for that I'm sorry, truly sorry. But has anyone stopped to think that a white Christian has to deal with as many white idiots as the black people do? (laughs) We are 
we, are, we as a church need to be united and not divided. We need to stand against the forces of darkness together, together as a church, not as a black congregation or as a white congregation or as a Hispanic congregation, but as a congregation of believers. The buck stops here and unity starts at Crenshaw. I want to thank you for protecting your flock, even the white sheep. Like God, you are no respecter of persons. Sunday after you, ma- Sunday after you made your comments, I immediately felt as though I was back home again, comfortable in my church. When you speak, people listen. Thank you for speaking up and protecting us. There was a 180-degree change. It seemed to me as though people were going out of their way to greet me and say hello. The warm and friendly air that infiltrates the dome was once again present. It made a world of difference to me, and I thank you for the, from the bottom of my heart. Words do not seem adequate enough to express the gratitude I have for you, your family, and your ministry. I would like to take it one step further. On Sunday, you said that some people were already starting to cut off or threatened to cut off their support of the ministry. As you suggested, I want, I want to put my money where my mouth is. In close, you will find a check for $500. This check is over and above my monthly tithe, and I would like you to put it where the ministry has the most need. There are people who are increasing their giving, people who want to see the word go forth that the truth may be known. Last year, I was tithing $32 a month because I was only making $320. This year, I am tithing $300 a month. In fact, when put together, my tithes and offerings almost doubled last year's income. God is good, and he has richly and abundantly blessed me. I am not telling you this to broadcast my personal business, but rather to let you know that God is prospering his people. As we prosper, so does the church. Don't worry, Pastor. Be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Tribulation, tests, and trials may be present, but you will, as always, come out on top. You are. Listen, listen. You are. You are a victorious, overcoming Christian. As you have taught me, God is your source. He will provide for you and the ministry. We as a congregation are here for you. We love you. We pray for you. We are in agreement with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Be encouraged and do not fear what man can do unto you. If God can move on my heart to deplete my savings account, think about what he can do with the hearts and minds of other believers across the nation and perhaps across the world. You just keep talking. Keep on preaching. Do what God has called you to do and he will take care of the rest. I know you do not have any have an easy assignment and to be real honest I am glad God did not give it to me that is one that is one reason why I appreciate you so much you are willing to do what not many if any would if anyone can do it you can please accept this check as a token of my gratitude and a sign of my support God's continued blessing to you and your lovely family your white sheep Now, that's the way it ought to be. That's what I'm shooting for. That's my heart's desire. It's always been that people would just be Christians, not see the exterior, but look at the heart. Laurie, where are you? Are you here today? Where are you? Stand up. Put her on camera. Now, all of this that I've read today is teaching. If you're wise enough to perceive it. Now, if you're an adult, then you won't get it. But it's a message through all of these letters that I've read. It's a message. God is speaking to the church. It's not about white. It's not about black. It's about right. Oh, my Lord. I got another letter. (laughs) You remember, last week I started teaching on religion, and I was using the Dake Study Bible. I got ready to get into the Dake Study Bible. Do you know that we have have a spy in our midst? 
uh, you're right, of course. You know, I didn't, uh, this, the tape of last week, the message last week, it hadn't gone on television yet. And I got a letter from the Dake Publishing Company already. Yeah, I mean, it's signed by the whole family, the whole Dake family. Of course, I don't have time to read it. No, I don't, because that, that's where I'll be taking off again. But everybody's missing the point. When I say everybody, a lot of these leaders are missing the point. They wrote this letter. Oh, this is, this is awesome. And we'll start with this next time, because it's very, all of this is teaching. All of this is bringing this stuff out into the open. We got, we got a Sambo in our midst. Yes, we, got, we, have a, we have a Sambo in our midst. You know, everybody always talks about, talk about black folk giving away other black folk, you know, and they, and they always call him an Uncle Tom. Well, don't you ever let those words out of your mouth again, because if you do, that means you have never read Harriet Beecher Stowe novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, because if you ever read Uncle Tom's Cabin, you will find out that Uncle Tom was the premier Christian of all time. He was the good guy. The guy that was the dirty dog and told off was Sambo. He told Simon Legree about Uncle Tom helping other slaves, taking some of his little bit of food that he had to give it to other slaves because uh, Simon Legree, the slave owner, would beat these people. And as a result of it, Uncle Tom would not bow his knee to Simon Legree. And as a result of, of it, Simon Legree beat him to death. But Sambo is the black that turns on his own people. So I really don't know if it's the black or whether they've sent a white representative here, maybe one of the representatives, but it's not a problem, but it's just interesting. I, I mean, I know the devil's gonna have some folk around here, but uh, the point is, uh, see, with this stuff's getting exposed, it's gonna be exposed. Jack is out of the box! <laughs> hey, hey, woo! Yeah, boy, I mean, they put, I mean, they put a letter on me. In fact, it, it, it almost, it almost appearance, it almost appears that they want to put a guilt trip on me. But see, they don't realize that God gave me this assignment. Oh, wait a minute. Some years back, I've done the research on this series for three years, straight three years. God, didn't God know they was going to write me a letter? Did, didn't, didn't God know that I didn't need to deal with that? Why would God give me that and lead me to do that? See, we're going to root this stuff out. God is at work in his church. You don't want to miss next Sunday. I said, you don't want to miss next Sunday. Well, I'm out of time. This message. Thank you for checking out Fantline. Until next time, keep Jesus first and be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Thank you.